Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, a graduate school professor, a former seminary president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Hello, and as always, Jim and I are thrilled to have you listening in to today's conversation. Um, in a recent episode, we got on the topic of books, which I've noticed happens quite a bit, <laughs> probably because Jim and I are both um, avid readers and book nerds. But aside from that, I just it, I think it's just because there is such a strong link between becoming a student of culture and being a good reader. So for today's conversation, we what we want to do is we want to zoom in on the accessibility of foundational informative books that really can help cultivate a much needed Christian worldview. Because of course, I'm not breaking any news here when I say that the way that we find and purchase books nowadays is very different from how we've traditionally done that in the past. And of course, as as with most things, there's positive elements of that as well as negative elements. So Jim, from your cultural standpoint, what are you noticing about the disappearance of bookstores and the way that that has been impacting how we find and choose books? Yeah, and, I, and I'm speaking for everybody who loves to read and who loved bookstores and, and is feeling the loss of bookstores. It's just harder to know about books. I mean, one of the most pleasant things, you know, that I would do, and I would, you know, back in the day, you know, I'd do it every week, find time and go peruse a bookstore, you know, really good bookstore, just there was nothing better. Um, and that's how you would get to know about books and new releases of books and maybe be introduced even to new authors or take some time to look at a book, you know, pull it off the shelf and, and spend even 10, 15 minutes with that, or at least five minutes with it, decide, okay, I was intrigued by the title, am I intrigued by this and such? And so um, you can't do that anymore. That's just lost and that's just gone. So it's not only harder to know about books, but obviously that means it's harder to know about the good books and what you should be reading and what you should be knowing about. And and when I say good books, it's because it's not just that, you know, bookstores were influencers. Mm. I mean, you would have, I mean, they were often led by avid readers. I remember when I was in graduate school, I applied to work at a store and I loved the application. It asked me a hundred questions about literature. That was the application of this bookstore. Huh. And uh, who did, what did this author write or who, who wrote this book and things like that. And so I thought, okay, I'm moving. <laughs> I think I might have a shot at this job. Um, but uh, it was, uh, so, so people could help you. People who work bookstores were, were, were trained and avid book readers. And, and you'd often say, this is so-and-so's pick, or they would say, here's, here's, we're having this author come in for a signing, or we're having a book club that's going to be going over this book. And there was just something about the bookstore itself that could elevate certain authors and titles to your attention. And so Amazon made things cheaper, but ironically, I don't know that they increased overall book sales in the world. I, I would probably think, and I haven't seen any studies on this, that maybe they've gone down. Um, and the reason is, is because you you only find or buy what you know to search for. You can't, it's hard to peruse Amazon's book selections, sure. even though they're very good about sending me what they'd like for me to consider, mm -hmm. um, curated, I guess, off of my uh, algorithms of past sales. And that can be interesting, but that, man, that's just nothing like when you could walk through aisle after aisle after aisle. Mm. I want to take advantage of the fact that you are also an author, because I think that you have an interesting insight into the world of publishing that most people don't have, because I imagine that there's a little bit of curating that takes place in the publishing world too. Like what would be some things maybe that you 
could tell us about the publishing world that would help us discern what is of value to read? Well, it's changed so dramatically since I published my first book. And, and I, 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 it's just a different world. Um, and has just did the whole industry has been turned upside down. Let me just tell you a few things that I think have really affected um, the books that we have available to read. Publishers just are not taking risks. They just take very few, if any, risks. They don't want to take any risks, really, if they can help it, which means they're just going to keep publishing authors that they know or that have been successful or that have sold. Or, um, but uh, you know, they 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 will go with an author if they that author leads an organization that can guarantee a certain number of sales. Um, so, um, let's just say somebody leads a, a massive, you know, world relief organization and they're going to write a book that the president and CEO is, and then that company's going to turn around that nonprofit's going to go ahead and buy 10,000 copies to give to donors, mm -hmm. uh, publishers say, okay, you know, let, let me pray about whether to sign you. Okay. We are signing. You. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. and so if they get the built-in sales of the organization, if they, if that author has a large social media following. Um, if the author can somehow self-market the book, in other words, publishers are looking for an author that's going to do all that for them. Mm. And so that's what tends to have to be the books that they sign. So it's, and again, I'm this, it's, it's gonna, I'm, I don't want to paint all publishers with the same brush or every book that's released with the same brush, but there is, at some would say there's less concern about quality and, um, and, uh, you know, you'll publish something because it's a good book by a gifted author. You publish it because they, this is going to sell. Mm. This is going to move copies. This author, this name, this social media following, this organization, this, we're going we're gonna to make money. And, and they are in a business. One of the things that I, I've learned, you know, uh, <laughs> particularly early on the hard way, is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a business. Mm. It's a business. Publishing is. So I'm not saying there aren't good authors being published. Uh, there are. It's just that being a good author with good content isn't enough. And so you have to be very careful these days about just automatically assuming because a book's been published and it's automatically, even by, you know, a, a trusted Christian publisher, I mean, you know, you, you may not always be guaranteed the kinds of things maybe that you were before. Hmm. Well, so on that note, I wanted to talk about here at Mac, if, if you're listening and you don't um, attend Mac, it's, which is where... Um, um, Jim is the, the senior pastor and where I also work. Um, we have an on-site bookstore and cafe. It just celebrated its 10-year anniversary. And it takes up Which a you lot. you helped us establish early on. That, in fact, that was what early on in your one of your roles was leading that and developing that for us. It's not now. But um, yeah, that was your baby, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Um, so yeah, I know a little bit about the bookstore. Um, but one of the things that I think surprises a lot of people is it takes up a lot of space on our campus. Um, but I also because um, I did help start that I do remember how much heat we got when we started construction on the bookstore. Um, you know, everything from why the heck does a church need a bookstore and cafe? Is it just trying to make money? You know, couldn't that space be better utilized for other ministry purposes? Yeah. And so although I helped kind and bring it to life, you were the one who had the initial idea to even have this. So what was behind that decision for you? Yeah, we had to do some vision casting, which uh, which is appropriate, but it was one that I gladly did because that, that vision burned pretty hot in me. Um, the bookstore is a ministry and 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 it's a it's a very, very important ministry. It's making resources both known and available. It's making important books known and accessible and available. 
it's strategic for discipleship. I mean, I can't, I can't stress enough. I mean, when so many churches, you know, uh, you know, Mech is well known for how many, you know, reaching the unchurched, which is good. I mean, hopefully, I mean, one of the things that we're known for is over 70% of our growth has come from those who are previously unchurched. What people don't often realize is that if you're truly an evangelistic church, you're having to work doubly hard on discipleship because everybody's coming to you needing foundational discipleship. I mean, you're, you're, you, you, you can't be an evangelistic church if you're not good at discipleship. <laughs> You've got to be. It's a necessity, which is good because that's the biblical mandate that we're, we're doing both. Well, one of the most important tools we have for discipleship is our bookstore, the Crown's bookstore. And, and, um, and it's just strategic. And then the cafe itself attached to it. And it's, it's this whole coffee shop vibe throughout the week. It's not just weekends. Um, is is strategic for community. I mean, I, I uh, on my way uh, to be with you today to record this, I went through the grounds. I was getting a <laughs> coffee and um, I mean, had probably half a dozen conversations with various people that were there. So there was one group of people that this ladies group were getting together for something. And then this other group was getting together and all these other people I saw um, uh, some uh, people there um, we there were three or four uh, Muslims that were there. I knew that from previous conversations. It just it's just it's it's fascinating. Just this mm -hmm. this whole gatherings community, and uh, tons and tons of pastors and leaders talking with people, and it's wonderful. So I, I think that it is it's it's a vision of 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 the importance of the ministry of a bookstore in a church, a good bookstore. It is it is powerful, and if you if you haven't seen that or experienced that, then um, uh, or I sure would explore it. Well, as I mentioned, the grounds just celebrated 10 years. And so I'm curious because a good bit has changed in the last 10 years in terms of the accessibility of books. And of course the, you know, e-readers and Kindles and all that kind of thing. Like, I'm wondering if, you know, the whole reason why people aren't, why bookstores are dying is because people are preferring eBooks and audiobooks to physical books. And so is, you know, having a physical bookstore, is that like just kind of clinging to a dying practice, forcing people to purchase physical copies of books when people just quite frankly, don't prefer to, to yeah. read that way? Or is there another way that a church could recommend good books that doesn't include having a physical inventory? Oh, preferring Kindle to an actual talk book is like heresy to me. I have to let my heart calm down a minute. That's just personal taste subjective. I'm a book guy. I like to mark them up and highlight and you know, hold yeah. it and smell the pages. And, mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that's why bookstores closed, Alexis. Okay. Uh, um, I, I think that, um, I mean, obviously, we've all benefited from the digital revolution and how that's you know made reading uh, with Kindle and other things, uh, you know, downloading things so much easier and, and such. But um, I think they closed just as I've watched it and being as an author and also just watching it as all of us have, that we just couldn't compete with something like Amazon. Mm. Just couldn't compete with it financially. Uh, and what people would do, and I think a lot of people regret it now because it, it caused the death of, one of the things that caused the death of bookstores was that you would go to a bookstore and love every minute of it. And the whole time you were writing down or taking pictures with your with your phone about what you were going to go home and order on Amazon mm -hmm. so you could save money and convenience having delivered to your home. Well, that was fun while it lasted. And then the next thing you know, you went to that bookstore for your weekly visit or monthly visit and it said closed. Yeah. And so I think that there was it was it was hard. It was it was it was really hard for them to compete. I think, too, when, when you when you just look at how expensive it is to do a bookstore. Mm -hmm. um, and the profit margin is slim mm -hmm. uh, on a book. 
particularly if you are trying to compete with Amazon. Um, and you have to have the real estate, you have to have, you know, the bricks and mortar square footage to rent or to buy. You've got to staff it, which is expensive. Uh, inventory, if you want to be a good size to bookstore, that's a lot of inventory yeah. and keeping up with that. And you tended to live and die by bestsellers. Um, you, it wasn't really your stock that you, you survived by. You survived by okay, I've got this one hot book that I sold a thousand copies of this month. And that's what kept us in business. It wasn't the other thousand books that people bought one of. Yeah. And so um, that made it hard because you were kind of living and dying by whether or not there was a, a really good bestseller coming. And so I think people miss bookstores. I think they like cheap books, but they, they, they miss the stores. And I think that we now kind of find ourselves at a deficit in terms of accessing uh, good books. Mm. You know, as I was putting together questions that I wanted to ask you about this, I couldn't help like reminisce on um, when we first started the bookstore and I was at a loss for what should I even begin with. And so you gave me a list of about a hundred books that you wanted me to have stocked at all times. None of them were new releases, mind you. I just want <laughs> to point that out. But I was thinking that was so rich for me that I thought, would you share some of those? Titles? Yeah, yeah. Them, but yeah, and and remember that I told you at the time, and it's still our policy, is that when, even if we just keep one copy of this book, mm -hmm. when it's sold, you immediately order it because yeah. there's certain books, and I, it's probably the number's gone up some since then, but there are certain books that I wanted our bookstore to always have. I mean, just, just to always have. And so that when I recommended them or another pastor, another leader recommended them, or it came up in a blog or a message. I mean, it was there and, and the classics, the best books that were there. Um, books most stores couldn't afford to stock, wouldn't know to stock, couldn't. I mean, the average bookstore can't afford to have even a really good book mm -hmm. and just have it sit on the shelf for six months, three months. Yeah. I mean, they're notorious for like, oh, we get a book, if it hasn't sold in a few weeks, we're shipping it back to the publisher. I mean, we can't, we can't afford this space. We can't afford the shelf space taken up by that kind of stuff. Whereas we had an opposite view. Let's stock this thing with the best books, the books we want, the books that should be people know about. And I don't care if that book sits there for, you know, two years. I mean, it's, it's an important book to have available. So, um, and uh, so, uh, you, know, I, you know, what names? <laughs> um, uh, think of an author like G.K. Chesterton, mm -hmm. uh, who was very influential for C.S. Lewis. And in many ways, Lewis called him once his master in, in terms of things. He was a, a C.S. Lewis of his day before C.S. Lewis was. G.K. stood for Gilbert Keith Chesterton. He wrote a wonderful book called The Everlasting Man. Phenomenal apologetics book. We have that. I defy you to go into any other store <laughs> and find that. Uh, the classic by Henrietta Mears, um, which was what the Bible is all about, which has been a, a, a classic for decades. And you just, you're not going to find that. Um, we've mentioned in previous places, you know, that I have Corey Ten Boom's A Hiding Place, uh, which is one that we'll always carry. Augustine's Confessions. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and even more contemporary, like I, 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 like Chuck Swindoll's Improving Your Serve. I think it's one of, the, one of those great ones. Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace. Uh, Go to Francis Schaeffer. I mean, his seminal book, uh, Escape from Reason. Mm -hmm. which was a short little book, but everyone said, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could go, I mean, um, Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. Yeah. Uh, John Stott's Basic Christianity. I mean, I'm going, jumping generations here back and forth, but I mean, it's, it's, it's all of these wonderful, the, you know, books that, that um, you just can't walk into a, a store and find. And 
uh, we're always one generation away from the next generation not even knowing about these books, which we've talked about in, in other podcasts. And so, I, I yeah, I, I think that I did. I gave, I gave you a list of, yeah. but there's at least 100. And I think it took me... I, 10 minutes. I mean, it was just so easy to, you know, these are books that we, we want to have. If we're going to have like a phenomenal, great bookstore and we're not having to worry about profit, this is a ministry, what would they be? And that's not hard. And we, and we still, um, we still have those as a core as well as, you know, commentaries and academic books and, and, and concordances and all the kinds of things that again, the average store can't afford to carry. Yeah. And we, you know, have entire study sections and stuff you might, you might could have found them at seminary bookstores, but even seminary bookstores are closing mm-hmm. and you can't even find it there. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a cool place. Mm-hmm. Now. So well, if it was news to you that Jim provided the initial inventory for the grounds, then it's really going to shock you that um, he has been, um, intimately involved with every book that we have put on the shelf of the grounds since then, because most people don't realize this, but every time I, we, I would order new books, you would always review them first. And to be quite honest, I mean, you, I'm not saying anything new to you, but you rejected a lot more than you have accepted over the years. And so, um, I know what you're looking for, but what can you tell our listeners? Like when you're looking for books, what are you looking for as you're reviewing them? What, yeah, and, what, and you're, yeah. you're really good at vetting them too. Um, but uh, obviously, if it's a Christian book, I'm looking to see if it's faithful to historic Christian orthodoxy. Um, so I'm looking at it with a theological eye. Um, is the author someone we can promote? Uh, and, you know, we, we, we've pulled good books because of a problem with the author. I mean, the book was a darn good book, you know, yeah. but man, the, the author's life became a train wreck or um, you know, the old line, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you say. And so we just have to pull books based on that. Um, is it a balanced treatment? I mean, we, we cover, we carry books that deal with um, delicate issues and contemporary cultural issues. And so what I'm looking for is, um, you know, uh, is, is it a balanced treatment or is there a hidden agenda? Does it treat opposing views with courtesy and civility and respect and fairness? There was a setting up straw men just to make a point. So we're looking for, has, has the author done their work? Um, this is an interesting one that I look for, and you know this, but this is one that maybe people wouldn't normally think about. But as a, as a pastor, as a leader, as someone who is um, who cares very much about the flock that I've been entrusted with, um, I'm, I'm always asking, where is this book going to lead people? Hmm. Um, the book may be fine, but is it a gateway to a personality or a group or a movement or an agenda, um, other authors, organizations, or theologies that I'm, I'm not anxious to get injected in our system. Mm. And um, I just don't think they're healthy and I don't think they're balanced or, I, or we just disagree with it. And, and so I'm, I'm asking, where's this book gonna lead people? How is it gonna influence people? I mean, again, the content may be fine, but you know, I, I read in notes. I look at where you're linking people. I look at who you're citing and wanting. And so if I'm reading your book and I'm liking it, but you're quoting this other author an awful lot. And that other author is one I quite frankly, am not anxious to inject in our system. You know, I'm looking at, at how is this going to lead people. And, and it's interesting. There's a, there's a corollary here to how you should, when I talk to our staff about social media, because I'll say to our staff, I said, okay, the tweet might be fine because we have a whole thing about where we go over, how do we interact with social media? How do we handle ourselves as staff? How, what are kind of do's and don'ts? And um, 
which again, famously could be another. <laughs> I'm writing these all down. <laughs> podcast. But one of the things that I talk about with, with our staff, as you know, is, okay, the tweet might be fine. You might really like, and you're getting ready to retweet it, and you really like what is said. But when you retweet that, you've got everybody who follows you feeling like you didn't just endorse the tweet, you endorse the person who tweeted it. You, you endorse that person or that church or that movement. And you have to be really careful with that. Are you ready to completely endorse and sign off and promote this person? Because you're going to have a whole bunch of people say, oh, I like that tweet too. I think I'm going to follow this person. And then all of a sudden they're getting a steady influx of things that you might not agree with and might not be healthy. It might not be good. And so you really have to be careful about what you're doing that might, um, where, where something that you promote is going to lead people. And so I look at books that way. And then last, I, I look at things like, do we, do we need to carry it? Hmm. Okay. We, we, um, we don't have unlimited space. We want to have a carefully curated inventory. And so many times it's like, you know, this is an okay book on parenting. We've got four right now we're carrying that are better. Yeah. And so why would we carry this just because it got, got newly released? Um, and so there are some books that um, are so, so good, so classic that there might be an updated treatment of that subject. It's just not as good. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking, do we, does this really fill a helpful void? Mm -hmm. um, most people don't realize that there are actually, this kills me, but the, there are genres within Christian literature, right? And, and I get this because if you go to like a Barnes and Noble, Christian books are usually just all lumped together within a section on religion. But if you go to a Christian bookstore, if you were to come to the grounds, for example, there are actually a ton of genres. I mean, there's apologetics to theology, to history, to biblical studies, you know, children's books, fiction books, there's there's everything. Um, so I was curious, could you comment on how a Christian might continue to expand their reading of different genres as they grow in their study of culture? Like maybe where should they start and then where might they head after yeah, that? You're absolutely right. We have, we have, gosh, 12, 15 genres, divisions in our bookstore from apologetics to section on Bibles to biblical studies of various kinds, cultural issues, uh, marriage and family, theology, history, um, and just on and on it goes, and which is one of the things that I love. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I'll, I'll tell you what I would say in terms of expanding things, because uh, let's 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 not make this overwhelming, because it, it can be when when you really start talking about reading, it can be it can be overwhelming, because there's so much to read and so much to take in. So one of the things that I I've suggested when people uh, want to really start a robust reading plan and want to expand their genres, I would say. Um, have four books, read four books at one time um, and make each of these four very different. Have one be a book that's for your soul. Have one be a book for your mind. Have a third one be for your vocation. And if by chance you don't work outside of the home or something like that, you want to have it on maybe parenting or, or marriage and family or whatever. Well, I don't know, whatever you're, you consider your vocation at this point but your career, your vocation. And then the fourth one is just one that you are enjoying, just pure, raw fun, like a novel, mm. a mystery novel or something. And, um, uh, and so when you, when you do that, um, it, there's several things that happen. One, you, you automatically are branching into four different books. Second, uh, you, there's always a book to pick up, to read. And so if you're not in the mood for this, you might be in the mood for that. So you're constantly reading. It ups your, your time reading. It allows you to put books in different places around the house and so, or carry one with you or, and, and it's just always there in front of you. So I, I would, I would strongly suggest that. Mm 
Another thing that to do is if you want to uh, take on the discipline of reading for the study of culture is, um, I mean, I've subscribed to the New York Times Book Review for years and other, you know, uh, published book reviews, things. And, and it's not just to be abreast of new books, but it's also to see what the bestseller lists are. And, and particularly for me, nonfiction, because that to me is where it's, uh, people are being influenced quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always looking at what are the top 20 bestselling nonfiction books in the United States. And, if, and, and even if I don't read the book, I'm seeing what the topics are. And, and, and so I'm, you know, constantly trying to be a student of culture through the reading habits of people. And this is all combined now through books and eBooks and everything else. So you can get these stats pretty easily, but um, yeah, I would push yourself to read from different genres and, and before you're overwhelmed by all the genres, again, just think about this simple four-part thing, a book for your soul, a book for your mind, a book for your career, your vocation, whatever that might be. And then the book that, you know, is just fun for you and, Mm -hmm. and, and that you're enjoying. So um, you know, your fun book might be a mystery novel by C.J. Sansom. Uh, if you like enjoy him like I do, the Matthew Charlotte mysteries, or perhaps a book for your soul could be going through uh, the Imitation of Christ with Thomas mm-hmm. Akempis, and maybe your book for your mind could be the little book of mine that we recommended recently, A Mind for God, mm-hmm. or a book, um, you know, like uh, Mark Knoll's Turning Points, the ten major things of church history, or something like that that you know is going to stretch your mind in, in terms of an area that you might not be aware of. And then, you know, a book for your career could be, you know, maybe a book on leadership. I'm working mm-hmm. through one right now on leadership in turbulent times by Doris Goodwin. It is uh, been out a while, but uh, it looks at the turbulent times of four presidents. Um, and uh, so anyway, I didn't mean to like mm-hmm. give a plug sorry, for those four books. I'm just saying, but that gives you a taste of kind of what I'm talking about. It keeps you diverse. Yeah. But see, that was the danger of asking me a question about reading and books because it <laughs> I don't, I don't self-regulate well. Oh man. Well, I want to go back to what we started the podcast with, which was essentially just lamenting the, the disappearance of bookstores, because I know that you're a big proponent of churches having bookstores, mm-hmm. even if it's something small, like mm-hmm. um, something very small, because that's how we started. I mean, even before we had the grounds, we had something small, but beyond what we've already talked about, um, what are some additional reasons why you think yeah. that should be, that could be important for churches? Well, if we don't do it, who will? I mean, it, it, I mean, they don't exist anymore. It, it, the, the church is the last best hope for any type of Christian bookstore, any type of Christian resource center. I mean, who else? They don't exist. They've, they've all gone out of business. So if the church doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. And that would be such a tragedy. Um, it's one of the most important discipleship investments a church can make, bringing a bookstore uh, right into the, the center of the community of faith. Um, only churches can really do this in a way that's viable because, like, for example, we run a large bookstore and cafe doesn't have to make profit. Whatever mm-hmm. profit is made goes right into missions, mm-hmm. but it, 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 um, but we don't need it to We're this is a ministry We're we're, we're, we're giving it the space. We're providing volunteers. We're, we're, you know, taking care of what staff might be involved in it. Um, we're building the inventory. I mean, this is something we're doing because this is a ministry every bit as much as supporting an orphanage or, or, or uh, you know, investing in the homeless community or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's a ministry of discipleship and outreach. Um, and it's the only way our people will know about these amazing books. I mean, seriously, I mean, we, we take for granted that people know who C.S. Lewis is or John Stott or Philip Yancey or F.F. Bruce or A.W. Tozer or, or, or you know, uh, George Marsden or, or, or J.I. Packer. We just take for granted that people know these authors 
that um, have written such an amazingly good books for Christians, not to mention the, the devotional classics going into things like Brother Lawrence and, you know, Augustine and Thomas Akempis and, and others. And so uh, this is a, a very, very important ministry that we're having to preserve, um, you know, uh, and to solidify us in a post-Christian culture. Mm. Well, when you say that it's an it can be a ministry. I'm, I'm also wondering, do you think that's limited to Christians, like a ministry to Christians, or do you think that there's value beyond that? I ask because, you know, I've, I have been involved in the bookstore for so long and I, we're open during the week because we are a community bookstore and cafe. So we get people who come in every day, as you just mentioned, you know, who don't identify rated really high. I was told, maybe you told me this, but whoever rates bookstores in our area said, Oh, like we're rated like one of the most highest places to go. And everybody says, Oh, it's great parking, great Wi-Fi, great coffee, you know? And, um, and so we're, we're, yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Well, and, and so what I've seen so many times is, you know, people will find us on Google, um, cause we do appear mm. so high just because of ratings and stuff and they'll come and like for the cafe, for example, not expecting themselves to then start browsing the books. And so that's really shaped how we, what kinds of books we carry, how we lay out our store, kind of everything, how we train volunteers. So do you think that that's just kind of like a secondary bonus to a primary mission that's focused on Christians? Or do you think that should be a part of the primary? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that when we started off, we, we ever had, saw that it was going to be so good for community and evangelism. And, um, and, and, and that has been, uh, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, it's been, you say a secondary bonus, but I mean, it's like right up there and we've done different things we've added to our campus to make it more of a destination during the week so that people can come for a whole experience. We created something called the Mech Trail, which was a mile long nature thing. We're on 80 acres. So we created this beautiful trail and with benches and plaques and things around that people can come now and they can to the bookstore and get coffee. They can go off and be alone and take a nature walk. I mean, we've just made it really cool. So yes, it has grown for us. People love the atmosphere and, and everything about it. But um, and then they they stumble upon all these books and you see people just browsing these books and and um, you know uh, and and we're able to develop develop relationships with them. I mean, our baristas are evangelistic animals. I mean, yeah. and without even trying, they're just friendly and get to know people, get to know by names and regulars. And they'll say all these people, you know, say hi to so-and-so, hi to so-and-so. And I'll say, oh, do they go to Mac? No, no, they just, yeah. <laughs> we're working on it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I did see more of a vision of this in the UK. When you go to the UK, you see a lot of churches have weekday cafes and week, not so maybe not as much bookstores, but weekday cafes, um, that are really big that they use to build relationships with. And then that's used for weekend services as well. But during the week it's converted over and they can, that's a, for a lot of these churches, they, they really talk quite a bit about how important that is in terms of outreach and such. But, um, but yeah, that it's, that's, that's a, that's been a really fun bonus, hasn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could continue talking for hours, but I also feel like because we could, I probably we haven't even gotten into what books you're reading right now. See, that's <laughs> another hour right there. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for, for now, let, I think we can end the conversation now. We've got so many other things, I think based on this that we could talk about in another podcast, but I at least wanted to give people a taste of gosh, like why Christian bookstores are still so important, why reading is so important, how to go about this, especially when, yeah, just the, the way that we choose books is just different now. So I think that um, we've made a really great case for for bookstores in general, and then just how to read, um, how to know what to choose if you um, do want to develop a Christian mind. So this has been really helpful. Thank you, Jim. Um, and thank you guys who are listening. We'll um, have you guys tune in again next week. 
Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.